From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, March 23rd. The Moab Arts Reuse Residency invites artists from around the world to turn some of our local trash into art. KZMU's Emily Arnson met with the two artists in residence here this month and reports from the dump. The truth about love and that's being trashed. Noemi Diplon-Lichtert is rummaging through a bag of old books at Moab's recycling center. Diet culture. We get to paper macheta. Huckerberry. I found a Bible. Theories of modern art. The canon. She needs a lot of paper for the paper mache project she's working on. Oh, there's so much good stuff, Brendan. Oh it's all going to end up back here if we take too much. She and Brendan Sullivan Shea are currently the artists in residence at Moab Arts. The two of them work together as architects and designers in a collective called Roundhouse Platform. And for the past three weeks, they've been thinking a lot about the architecture of this area. There have been people building structures here, pit houses and kivas and wiki-ups for thousands of years. And architecture is it's often this kind of white noise or a backdrop that is utilitarian, but it lasts also forever and leaves such a long record. And the decisions that people make about how they choose to live in the spaces they choose to shape, coming from an architectural angle, Moab is a kind of fantastic place to think about its past and its present and its future. In some ways, architecture is kind of like trash in the sense that it sticks around for a long time and can tell the history of a place. Trash is one of the main objects of study for archaeologists, looking back at ancient societies and just thinking about it as evidences of the way that we're living, the way that we're consuming, the way that we're behaving. The point of the residency is to get artists thinking about creative ways to use waste. While they've been in Moab, Brendan and Noemi have been designing structures made entirely from recycled materials. The idea is to to work with compressed waste material as a kind of large-scale building block. They've been especially inspired by the massive bricks of cardboard at the recycling center. I just can't help myself with like trying to imagine what was the the life story of every box that's been smushed into these giant bales. <laughs> they hope to put together a temporary structure with the cardboard bales before leaving town. But mostly, the goal of the residency is to give artists the time and space to generate new ideas. For such a small community, there's such a density of different types of people here and different kinds of intelligence that are crystallized in the community. So it's been fascinating to meet with people who are doing natural building, like a community rebuild, or going up to the USU campus and meeting with artists from across the country that are looking at the interaction between art and science. And really everyone is bringing such great energy and intelligence. It's been really productive for us to be here to just tap into those streams of knowledge and to learn something from that and incorporate it into our outlook as designers and educators. For KZMU, I'm Emily Ernson. A group of Congress members is convening a new caucus to discuss the Colorado River. As Alex Hager with our partners at KUNC reports, six of the seven states that use its water have joined. Decisions about how to share the shrinking water supply are usually made by state leaders. But Congressman Joe Neguse, a Democrat from Colorado, says Congress can play a part. There is a role for the federal government to fund critical water conservation 
projects and to assist the states from a financial perspective as we address these water shortages for years to come. Nagus says water issues in the West will require, quote, Herculean investment and hopes his caucus will operate with a level of agreement that states often don't. The group plans to convene in the coming weeks. I'm Alex Hager. KUNC reports that Wyoming is the only state not currently represented in the group. Congressman Nagus said he's hopeful that they will have Wyoming's participation in the coming months. Colorado voters approved a proposition in 2020 to reintroduce wolves in that state. And according to the new law, Colorado Parks and Wildlife has to approve a plan and begin reintroduction efforts by the end of this year. Wolves are likely to be released in western Colorado, which may affect folks in eastern Utah. The Aspen Center for Environmental Studies hosted an event last week called Living with Wolves. Panelists provided an update on the current draft plan and what to expect when the animals arrive. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Hallie Zander has more. The evening began with a series of videos depicting a romantic vision of wolves in Colorado, running across healthy mountain ranges. But the multimedia event was more about preparing the community for the reality of living in wolf country. We have a lot of people who like to get out on the trails and they want to know what they're going to expect. Christy Mann is the development director for ACES, which has hosted heated conversations about wolf reintroduction in Colorado for years. But Mann says it's not a debate anymore. This decision has already been made. How are we going to coexist and what does that look like? There's no going back. We've made that decision. And so we're hoping that it's not so controversial because there's not this argument anymore. They're coming. Wolves have been a hot topic in Colorado. They offer a missing link to natural food webs and can provide some ecological balance in the West. But wolves also threaten livestock and big game, which puts stress on ranchers and hunters. ACE has invited five panelists with different interests in the wolf reintroduction process to last week's event, including a rancher, a rangeland scientist, and a CPW official. Matt Yamashita is an area wildlife manager for CPW and has been involved in the agency's efforts to develop a draft wolf management plan. The goal is to have wolves on the ground by next December. So there's a lot to be covered, done, everything between now and then. CPW published a draft restoration and management plan in December and accepted public comments until late February. There is one wrinkle in the plan, though. Gray wolves are an endangered species in Colorado, which limits CPW's ability to manage them. But the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could designate wolves in Colorado as an experimental population, giving CPW more flexibility. That would include the authority to lethally remove move certain animals that pose a threat to humans and livestock. Yamashita says they're still waiting on this decision, which is an important part of the current draft plans. While that is occurring, we're still moving ahead. We have a timeline to adhere to. We will be moving forward with our draft plan. Lenny Klingelsmith hopes other ranchers will learn to trust CPW's process. He operates a 13,000-acre ranch outside of Meeker and was on last week's panel. There's a lot of angst, a lot of worry amongst you know, the livestock-producing communities on how this will play out. 
Livestock in Colorado are already vulnerable to predators like bears and mountain lions. Klingle Smith says introducing a new species that hunts as a pack will require ranchers to learn new tactics about how to protect their livestock. And they'll need timely support from CPW when wolves do kill their animals. What's going to be key is having a quick response. It's like anybody that's trained their dog, I guess. If you let them get away with it five times, it's a lot harder to break than if you do it that first time and stop it. Klingle Smith knows the return of the apex predator will be tricky, and not just for livestock. He describes a conversation he had with a rancher in Montana about how the threat of wolves can destabilize a family ranch. All these studies have been done. Nobody studied what happened to the divorce rate amongst ranchers. <laughs> and he said, I can tell you from experience, it went way up. And I shared that story with a U.S. fish and wildlife personnel, and he says, Huh, that's interesting. The same thing happened with my colleagues. Yamashita knows CPW can model its new program based on what other western states like Wyoming and Montana are doing. But Colorado is unique. There haven't been sustained populations of wolves in Colorado since the 1940s. So Yamashita says there will be some trial and error. As a staff primarily composed of biologists by training, we want to rely on the science. Well, we don't know what that science is in Colorado. It's also not totally clear what the trail experience will be like. If you're a hunter or you use wild spaces in Colorado for hiking, biking, or walking your dog, all the panelists agreed. You have to know what risks wolves can pose and to pay attention to your surroundings. A lot of the times when we get out there and we're enjoying nature, we start tuning everything else out. And when our dog starts going crazy or when the hairs on the back of our neck start standing up because something's weird. We don't pay attention to those. Yamashita has been at a slew of public meetings to discuss CPW's developing plans for wolf reintroduction. But outside, after the panel, he says this one felt different. There's a significant portion of this event that is not based on science and biology. It's based on the emotion. There's a lot, large component of wolves in general that are emotional. So events like this help kind of provide context to what some of that emotional consideration is when managing wildlife. The CPW Commission, which serves as the agency's board of directors, will convene in Glenwood Springs on May 3rd and 4th and is expected to approve a draft plan. I'm Hallie Zander. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, March 23rd. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.